I still read the, all the cookbooks, I still watch the cooking shows, I'm still up to date with all the trends on food and and understanding my why and why I want to do it. It's just that why has, it's pr just progressively changed. It's not so much a solo, it's not a solo career anymore. I've got people around me that I want to bring with me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Tropical North Queensland is an extraordinary place with produce many chefs across Australia rarely get access to. What's it like moving to a region where the produce is vastly different to that which you cut your teeth on? Daniel Crossman is the executive chef of Salt House in Cairns. Daniel, how are you? Great, thank you. Good to be here. It's great to get you on the show. It's um, pretty beautiful up there in uh, tropical North Queensland. What's things like at the moment? Uh, it's overcast today. I'm afraid there's been rain all morning. It's a bit of a weird, bit of a weird season we're having. I think it rained a lot later this year, and it's starting to get muggy now. So it's just been, it's just been a bit all over the shop. We can't, we can't really decide what it wants to do. What what is it normally like this time of year? What sort of produce do you see up there? Australia is so large and the produce is so different, but what do we see in North Queensland at the moment? Um, well, I've been, I've been going to the markets every Friday morning for about the last five years. So seasonally I see, you know, I see it all come through. There's obviously always beautiful pineapples and things like that, but we've got plenty of custard apples and sour sops and all the nice big dark green leaves are really beautiful. Like there's lots of kale and uh, rainbow shard and the silver beets and the spinaches are amazing. Um, and then for the last last six weeks, I've had access to some beautiful hand hand grown peas, which are only in season for the last only in season for a few weeks of the year. I get them at Rusty's Market from a local farmer, um, so they're brilliant. Yeah, so it just you know it's it it depends on what's going on, but like the the rain really brings out the best in all the the, the nice beautiful leaves. Tell us a little bit about uh, Salt House. You're leading the team there. Um, what what are you doing there with the with the establishment? Well, Salt House is a massive venue. We've got a uh, we have a restaurant, we have a really large bar, we have a pizzeria, and um, we also do functions every week. Um, so, you know, my aim for the restaurant was to really turn it into um, something that was, I guess, on trend. We've got um, big, beautiful Argentinian grill. So all of our all of our proteins and all of our seafoods are cooked over wood. Um, we we go and get that wood ourselves from a property out past Mossman, and then we bring it back and we start cooking on it. So we've got like, I guess the main thing what I was trying to achieve was m matching beautiful proteins and beautiful reef fish and beautiful prawns with the lovely uh, produce and fresh fruit and vegetables that I get at Rusty's Market every week. So the menu changes. The menu changes. Probably every three months I make menu changes, um, depending on what's on in season. And um, we've got, at the moment, like we're doing a beautiful um, Rusty's Market Garden Salad, which is full of like everything that I get from the, from the market every week. And we kind of just like, we make the salad around that. Like we've got the blueberries and the peas and we've got papaya on there and um, lovely cucumbers, which is all from our suppliers. Um, our seafood all comes from Preston Seafood. Uh, so they get, obviously we've got the Great Barrier Reef right next door 
to where we are. So, you know, there's plenty of stuff going on, like all the prawns are local, all the fish is local, coral trouts. Um, so the menu's like the restaurant menu is sort of, you know, I want it to be something that's on trend and I want it to be uh, rustic and smoky. I want it to have lots of flavour and I want it to look like it's, I guess, the best best way to describe it. I want my food to be rainforest perfect. So I want it to look like it's fallen, like a leaf fallen from a tree and it's landed on the ground. And that's just, it's perfect the way it is. So that's my goal. And then over in the, over in the bar, we're doing, we do lots of little, little bits and pieces. Like we do prawn sliders and we do uh, grilled, grilled squid with agrodolce and we do um, karage chicken um, and then just simple plates of fish and chips. And then over in the pizzeria we're making all of our pizza dough by hand we're rolling by hand and we're using the best toppings we can possibly source and we're trying to create like a traditional trattoria pizzeria style open venue so it's you know it's a pretty exciting little spot and um yeah i'm 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 really proud to be running it and i and, and enjoy the opportunity to to get creative and and artistic and and, and be the leader of the team there. It's great. How many staff does it take to run such a big venue with sort of multi, you know, multifaceted as it is? Oh, yeah, that's that's the big one, isn't it? That's the most expensive expensive um, item, I guess, is the staff. We've got – so I've got about three in the pizzeria. I've got about 15 chefs in the restaurant, three, four chefs in the bar. So, yeah, there's any time between 15 and 20 staff, and that doesn't include the kitchen hands – um, but then, you know, like if we've got functions and not functions on, we could have 20 staff in the kitchen at one time, everybody doing, everybody working to their absolute max and trying to push out a variety of different, different foods, you know, like I said, from, from grilled calamari with agrodolce to a, to an aged meat or to an ironwood roasted duck. What's it like running a restaurant in a regional center like that? Do you have to sort of play to tourists or locals? What What's the approach that you have? Yeah. So look, I mean, during the off season, it's really, it is really uh, local based. And so we need to, I guess not, we need to cater to what the locals like. I mean, they, the locals love good steak. They love good fish. They love prawns. And they love oysters and they want to be able to come out and have a nice dinner, but they don't necessarily want um, the big f- fancy stuff. They want to go out and have a nice family dinner. Whereas in the busiest time of year, we really need to have a big menu that's focused on what we can really do and what 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 Cairns has to offer and bringing in all the local stuff and stuff that people can't see back in Melbourne because the locals see it every day. So they want to be just, they're happy to come in and just have a nice meal and, and family time and enjoy themselves. Um, but yeah, so the menu in the busiest time of year, it's really like bring, we've got, you know, we've got the revenue coming in. So we've got the, we're getting the good produce and we're putting it on the menu and we're, and we're, and it sells and it sells really well. I want to explore what you're doing there in detail in a little bit but take us back to when you were young where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you our food was massive for me i've got um a big uh, family we all we all love food i grew up in a a regional town in victoria called ichuka um i grew up on a farm with my grandmother living next door my grandmother was always bringing over 
um, banana custard and raspberry tarts and she used to make these sausage rolls that we used to eat. We used to, used to eat about 100 sausage rolls at a time um, growing up. And then we had um, every Christmas my grandmother would make these uh, things she called lilies and it was just sponge cake that she folded over a – she just cooked the, cooked the sponge cake and then she folded it over a rolling pin, filled it with cream and jelly um, and she made them every Christmas and every Christmas there was always fights over who would eat the most lilies or someone, there'd be always someone sneaking over to my grandmother's house to steal the lilies. Um, I remember my grandmother actually tried when I was a, I was already an established chef by then, but my, my grandma tried to, well, we called her mama, my mama, that's what her name was. So mama tried to, um, pass on the, the recipe for the lilies to me because I was the, I loved cooking and I loved being a chef and she showed me how to do all this stuff and I was like, no, no, you don't do it like that because I'm just so, this is how you do it. And so we ended up just having a big fight. So we just, I'm not allowed to have the lily recipe. So that went to my sister. <laughs> but yeah, so food, food for me was was really, really important in Ichika and I always loved food. I've always had a good relationship with it and I always wanted to be a chef from from my dad, from from a young kid in primary school, I was still wanted to be a chef. Tell us about sort of that first foray into the industry. Where, where did you get your foot in the door, and what was it like? Um, well, it was pretty difficult actually. I left um, school at the end of year eleven in nineteen ninety eight. Um, I went and worked. I got an apprenticeship at a a little restaurant in Echuca called Giorgio's on the Port. Um, you know, and I did have I did struggle with like going from, you know, a kid at, at high school who had his freedom to going into the workforce as an apprentice chef. And I spent the first I spent the first 12 months of my career um, washing salad leaves and dishes. Um, my first head chef was a lady named Laurel. Um, she, was, she was actually really good for me. I was close to quitting after the first four months, but um, she was quite – a really good talker and, and a really good uh, leader and she sat me down and um, I remember she handed me this little um, French cookbook with a lot of French um, terms in it for cooking and um, she made me memorise. She would highlight about a, a page of words or a dozen or so words and she would um, make me take the book back and memorise the French cooking terms. So I used to – and then every week I'd get tested on the French – cooking terms so that was yeah that that for me was um that was a those 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 cooking terms came from a scoffier they were all old scoffier cooking terms so for me I found that um well I got one-on-one -on -one time with with the chef which I really enjoyed and I found it really interesting and and I learned a lot and I've always been a big fan of I've always been a big 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 fan of chefs like from, you know, I used to love Marco Pierre White, um, still do. Um, you know, I used to, I remember when I was at Giorgio's, his second year of my apprenticeship, she, Laurel brought us tickets for a Gordon Ramsay, Gordon Ramsay's first cookbook launch, Passion for Flavour, in, at the Hilton Hotel. So me and, my, me and the other uh, apprentice, Greg, we got to sit down. Well, we turned up to the dinner and we walked in and, and they go, hello, hello, Mr. Crossman, hello, Mr. Egan, you guys are sitting with Mr. Ramsey tonight. And we're like, what? What do you mean? Yeah, so we were, we were sitting at the same dinner table as Gordon Ramsay, like he was right in front of us. So we spent 
two hours with 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 Gordon Ramsay having dinner when when he was doing Passion for Flavor. So he would have just opened up Gordon Ramsay restaurant Ramsay, I think maybe I don't know. So yeah, we did that, and that was just like fascinating, and that was just the best time. So sort of yeah, I'm, I've always been grateful to Laurel because I did want to quit, and she kept me there and and sort of just put me on the straight and narrow. So yeah, I was there, and then. Had an attempt at moving to Melbourne and I wasn't quite ready and I came back to Giorgio's for another 12 months in Echuca and then, yeah, I started started moving around after that. So, yeah. As you sort of built your career um, and got more comfortable in the kitchen, what were the really important sort of people and venues that helped sort of lead you down that path? Well, there was, I mean, obviously I just mentioned Laurel. Um, in Echuca there was a restaurant called Oscar W's um, which had one hat and I always wanted to work in, uh, I was always reading the food guide and I thought, Oh God, it'd be good to work in a one hat restaurant doing all this fancy food. So I went over to Oscar W's and I, um, went and worked there with, and, um, the owner was an, was a man named Dean Oberon. He gave me a great opportunity. I, I was, I was a sous chef there and I was a chef to party and I first learned to cook over wood on a big charcoal barbie that we had. Uh, so Dean was amazing. Um, working with Jeff, um, Jeff Lindsay at Pearl, um, he was a massive influence on my life. And Nick Holloway at, at at Nunu, Nick and Nick kind of, well, I guess Jeff taught me about flavour and how to cook ingredients and how to get the best out of those ingredients and how to season food and. He was just, he was just wonderful. Like he was a great inspiration. And then obviously Nick worked with Jeff at Pearl, and Nick taught me. Um, I mean, Nick's been a major influence on my career. I'll, I'll be forever grateful to Nick. Um, he not only did he teach me about flavour, he he taught me how to be a leader in the kitchen. He taught me how to gather ingredients and source ingredients. And I've always, I've just always loved, loved his, his style and the way his food looks. And so it's always been uh, really important for me to, to, to make sure that the food that I'm cooking looks, you know, like I want it to look amazing. Obviously, I want it to look like it's fallen from the tree and it looks perfect. And, and Nick was a major influence on me um, teaching me that. Um, and then, you know, I've had, um, I'm great friends with, um, sounds like I'm name dropping, I guess, but these are sort of like influences. <laughs> I guess we're here yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. And then, um, I chin chin with, um, Benjamin Cooper, who's a great friend of mine. He was just, I was pretty, you know, I'd had, I, when I, when I joined up with Benjamin, I was, um, I was, I was about to quit, I think, after 15 years or so, maybe, yeah, maybe 16, 17 years in the kitchen, I was about to quit. Um, but he believed in me and he he gave me a job and he put me on the line. I was cooking curry and cooking a, cooking a wok section and doing that goddamn deep fryer at Chin Chin, eight, nine-hour shifts on a deep fryer, <laughs> dropping all that pork, dropping all that pig's trotter. Um, yeah, so he really... Well, I guess he just made me laugh. He made it fun again. I wasn't having fun and he he's a very big personality in the kitchen and he made me laugh and he made me enjoy what I was doing. So um yeah, they're the they're the big ones. 
apart from my grandma who who was really inspired me to cook nice food and, and my mum doing her roast chickens and stuff like that. But I've been really I've been really lucky with with the people that I've had in my career and the people that I've met over the years. So yeah. Tell us a little bit about the move to Cairns. How, how did that come about? Uh, the first move in 2005, I was in a relationship um, and um, her mum was living up in Cairns. Um, so she wanted to be up here a bit closer to her mum, so we decided to move up. Um, it was pretty – so we, I just said, yeah, sure. I mean, I'd never left Victoria. I'd never left Victoria, so I was happy. Like, let's do it. So I got up here. I'd never even been to Cairns before, actually. Um, yeah, so – didn't have a job and I was fresh out of a fresh out of an apprenticeship at Langton's in Melbourne so I was a bit had three hats so I was pretty you know I was like I was ready to cook I was thought I was I was thought I was thought I was everything thought I was the shit and um I moved up to Cairns and the first job that I got was actually at the well I guess I was at the Sheridan Mirage actually in Port Douglas I thought that that would be an amazing place to cook and um well they put me on the um I remember them. They put me directly on the larder section, doing the cold sandwiches, and or like literally like opening up bags of um, thins crisps, salted crisps, and putting them on the plate and toasting a sandwich. And I said, after three days, I said, "Look, you know, like I've come up here. I want to cook. I'm just come out of this." three-hat restaurant, this isn't what I'm doing, can you move me into the restaurant? And they, like, basically said, oh, we just need you to stay there for a bit. So I, I gave it another chance and then I just uh, packed up my knife wrap a couple of days later and I just walked out. So it was the first time I'd ever done that sort of a thing, so that was a bit nerve-wracking. Um, and then, yeah, it was weird because I got home and I was reading a, I was reading a delicious magazine and saw that Nick and Jason had opened up just opened up Nunu in Palm Cove and they were I'd never and I know actually yeah I remember I did a master class with Nick and Jeff at William Anglis when I was an apprentice chef and Nick and Jeff were both at Pearl at the time and Nick was amazing I just remember Nick being really stressed because I think he was really under the pump about whatever was happening back at the restaurant and um, Jeff was teaching me to cook the wok and um, I was cooking pearl meat or scallop meat or something like that I can't really remember but it had little black bits all through the wok like I'd burnt the wok I was only a third year apprentice I hadn't even used a wok before and it was the first time that I'd ever seen a chef like someone like Jeff who I looked up to walk over grab the wok basically said it's got black bits in it well I think he said it's got fucking black bits in it and then he threw the he threw the whole lot in the bin. He made me wash it and started again. And so that was really eye opening for me and and actually pretty exciting. Um, so yeah. And then I was reading that delicious magazine. And I saw that Nick had just opened up Nuno. So I thought, well, that's where I want to work. And I I walked in and it was really convenient because Nick had just had a chef walk out. And um, yeah, I walked in um, and I got a job there on a casual casual basis um and then one that 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 a few weeks later was new year's eve i was at home i wasn't i was just still working casual at nunu and um nick rang me up on new year's eve and he said i'm desperate can you come and do a shift and it was like quarter six on new year's eve and they had 
Yeah, they had like 50 or 60 people booked and they're like, oh, God, we're in so much trouble. And um, so I said, oh, I'm, I'm actually at home cooking dinner for my partner at the time. And, and he said, look, just come in, bring your partner. She can have a free dinner. I just really need help. So I went in. All right, cool. So I went in and Nick put me on the larder and um, he said, I know that you don't know what to do. I know that you don't know you haven't done this section before, but can you just do your best? So I just spent the next, I think I spent about the next 2.5 hours just kind of just feeling my way through the miang, not knowing the recipe. I don't even know if I did it right, but I got it all up. <laughs> it was up on time. And then, yeah, we laughed about it and had a beer after service. And then, yeah, I was full time after that. Wow, that's amazing. You mentioned that 2005 was the, f- the first time you went to Cairns. What, what triggered the sort of time that you're there now? Well, I just had a, in ninth, in 2017, I think it was, I had a failed attempt at, it might have been 2017, I had a failed attempt at moving over to Bali. Um, and then um, I was back in Australia and I was in, living in Albury and um, I call it my, I call it my Chinese shop years. I was walk, working at a, um, a pretty, not a great Chinese restaurant in Aubrey, just trying to bring in some money. Um, and then I was pretty pretty flat and um, I rang, I was just, you know, I rang up Nick and I said, oh, do you reckon I could just come up and just cook with you for just for the summer, just for a couple of months, just do that for the summer? And he said, yeah, yeah, just um, leave with me and I'll call you back. So he called me back the next day and he said, look, we'd like to fly you up. We'd like you to come up and be maybe maybe be the head chef at Nunu. Um, yeah, so I got well, I went up to Cairns and spent the evening with Nick and in the kitchen at Nunu and, yeah, I accepted the job and then, yeah, moved the family up here and, yeah, we're all here. What's it been like uh, the last sort of six years? How much have you changed as a chef and how much has that sort of environment ingredients changed your cooking? Yeah, that's a big good question of like heaps. Like when I first got up here, I was very like very Melbourne, and my 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 cooking was very. Um, I guess it was kind of like chinchin, like fast paced and big curries and lots of oil and uh, lots of chili and and just really heavy and rich flavors. Um, and then just by working with Nick and doing menu development, I learned about like cooking like lighter style food and and fresh ingredients and and going to the market and adapting to what you've got and not necessarily using a recipe but just navigating your way through the actual uh ingredient and and what's happening with it like if i added too much salt well it's not really the end of the world you just need to figure out a way to balance it out like is it crisping up enough like how much water is coming out of it and all these sort of things like persimmons like persimmons are these these brilliant uh, when i was in mal mean melbourne i didn't know what to do with them but up here it's like you can use a you know you make a persimmon salad out of the crunchy person it's absolutely delicious but then what are you going to do with the ones when they go overripe so we just you know we started making like persimmon ketchup and making so it's sort of you know like a tomato sauce but with persimmons so it was all it's it's really like the fruit ripens fast so you've got to know what you're doing because of the heat um you know the chilies are hot so you need to realize that if you add half a chili 
it might be too much. If you add two, you probably only need two slices of that little green scud, not the whole scud. So, so yeah, so I've changed a lot. Um, I'm lighter. I've got better techniques, and and I just have a, a better understanding of what's of what's around me. How did the gig with Salt House come about? Uh, the gig with Salt House. Well, I, my partner and I, Trish and I, we got pregnant. Um, I was working at Noah at the time, and I needed a break. Um, so I had a I was having a had a break. I had almost a whole uh, twelve months off. I was sort of just working part time at a, a cafe with a friend, and um, you know it got to about eight nine months in, and the baby was born, and I'd spent the time with the baby, and I really wanted to start cooking again. And I noticed there was an ad. I there was two ads. I applied for one at the at the convention center, and I applied for one at Salt House, and. Um, I sent my. I had to type up a resume because I didn't have a resume. So I typed up a resume, emailed that off to uh, Finn, who owns Salt House. And then the next day, I got a text message from Jay, the general manager, saying, "Can you come in for a chat?" And and that was it. It was just a really. Um, it was a really easy. Um, felt right. I've always. Um, I actually, whenever I've been at Salt House in the past, I've always felt that I could offer something um but the timing was never right like i'd either you know i'd be pretty busy at, at, at nunu and and just or something was going on in my life and the timing was never right so um yeah the timing felt right i put the put sent my application in and i, I got the job you mentioned a couple of times some of the changes that you've had in your careers and also thinking about leaving the industry and then being pulled back in. What's been the biggest adversity for you and, you know, how did how did you get yourself through them? The biggest adversity for me, honestly, has been my own personal headspace. Um, I've, you know, battling uh, battling depression and, and, and battling that, that feeling that I'm not good enough to do the job anymore and and battling that that feeling that I don't want to do it anymore and and forgetting about the and completely forgetting the why I got into it in the first place like the actual love of cooking um I guess it's hard to it's kind of hard to answer I guess the what's at my lowest when I've had the depression and the headspace at my lowest I guess What's brought brought me back to it has been the time and has been the the strong people around me and like I think the first time that when I when I first met Benjamin Cooper I, I was you know I wanted to quit and I guess he just he just like he made me laugh like he he reminded me why I was doing it like he reminded me like. He said, you know, like we'd sit down and just have something to eat and it'd be like the best thing I've ever fucking tasted in my life, like just a bowl of curry. And I just wanted – it just reminded me about why I started. It reminded me about eating sausage rolls with my, at, my, at my grandma's house or the lilies at Christmas. And, you know, then once I remembered my why and why I wanted to do it, it was about getting back to work and just slowly – accepting you know or not so much accepting but just doing the work again and 
just one bowl of curry at a time, one one stir fry at a time, and tasting it and making sure it's right, and then just building my confidence back up and and. Yeah, I guess that's the way to do it for me. I've just been someone who has had mental illness in the past. It's it's really just been important to have a good good people around me and 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 listen when I needed to listen and and you know understand that there is a there is there is a reason why I'm doing this and and it's just about remembering it. So yeah. You've, well, you've built a, a family up in Cairns and a really successful restaurant as well. Has has the move to Cairns changed you a lot? Yeah, it has changed me heaps. I'm a lot different now, especially since the second baby has arrived. I'm, I'm looking for longevity. For me, it's about finding a, a, a new why, and the, and the new why for me is 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 my family and seeing my two daughters grow up and, and sending them to good, you know, good schools and, and just spending time with my wife and having a, just having a nice, a nice time away from work because I think achieving that work-life balance is what's going to um, help me um, get that longevity that I want to continue cooking into the years. And I want to, I really enjoy teaching the young chefs and, and leading them and and showing them new ways of doing things and I still read I still read all the cookbooks I still watch the cooking shows I'm still up to date with all the trends on food and and understanding my why and why I want to do it it's just that why has it's pr- just progressively changed it's not so much a solo it's not a solo career anymore. I've got people around me that I want to bring with me, and um, yeah, that's that's what that's what I see for the for the future and the way I'm going to get there. Well, you're making an incredible impact in a in a beautiful part of Australia up there. What, what do you, what do you love about what you do? Oh, what do I love about what I do? I love I love teaching. I do love the young. I do love watching the kids, like the young chefs. Um, be successful in their sections. Um, I love the food. I love the flavors. I love the ingredients. I've always had these moments in my career where I'm just eating something like a bowl of noodles and I'd be like, oh, God, that's the best noodles I've ever had and I'd be just speechless. And so I want to like, if I make something, like if I'm doing some testing recipes or I'm doing something in the kitchen at work and um, I'll make it and I'll taste it and I'll be like, yeah, that's, spot on and then I'll make sure that like there's a big stack of spoons there so that all the chefs come and have a taste um I started making I taught myself how to make natural sourdough during COVID when I I was um not working when we were in lockdown um so we started making our own sourdough at Salt House like from scratch with a natural fermentation and the veins and all the all the baskets and everything like that and that's been a really difficult process in teaching, in teaching that 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 the process of making bread. When I'm not a I'm not a baker, but it, I I can do the job. I know how to bake, and but it's been really rewarding um, seeing the actual sourdough from those you know those funny those loaves that come out of the oven that look like a map of Tasmania and they're just like, a, or a pancake and they're completely flat. And you're like, well, we can't serve that. 
So you've got to, you know, you've got to start again. You've got to look at the recipe. You've got to tweak the recipe again. You've got to spend more time with the chefs and be like, come on, look at the dough. Look at because because bread's not. It's not a recipe. It's 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 you know it's the kneading of the dough. It's the shine of the dough. It's the water. It's the water content. If there's if you add your salt too early, it won't rise, or you'll kill the kill the the natural yeast in there. So it's been that's a challenging process, but it's something that I love doing because I think it's it's about I I want to yeah I want to bring I want to bring the guys around me. Up. I want them to be able to do the, I want them to grow and achieve their goals and, and to do that I need to be able to teach them and, and bring them up around me so that they can understand their whys and know what they're doing well Daniel it's an absolute honor to have you on deep in the weeds today just to hear a part of your story um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon okay awesome thank you very much this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well. <laughs>